Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Guys, what's up? I am so happy that you're back for another episode, and today's episode is really top-notch, and we're going to get right to it, but before we do, I have to share about this experience that happened to me about a year ago, and yeah, so let me just tell you. So it all started a couple years ago when I became very fascinated and intrigued by this person named Isabel Fox and Duke. And I read all her articles, I studied her work, I listened to all her interviews and watched all her videos, just really became a connoisseur of her content. And you heard me interview her multiple times, and I had her on the show multiple times. And the thing was that about a year ago, she was launching this new program called Stop Fighting Food Masterclass. And it's a, it's a really cool online course that she was doing, but I was like, you know... I'm not sure if I actually need to do that because I felt like I was like, oh, I know Isabel really well. I've, I've read all her articles. Like I said, I've interviewed her myself a couple times. I was like, I don't know. And something within me was like, you should sign up for that. So I was just like, okay, okay, whatever. And I did and I paid the money and I was like, all right, I'm here. So then I was like, well, I don't know, you know how much I'm going to participate or how much I'm going to you know, get from it. But I decided to go all in. I was, maybe it was because I invested in myself or I made this choice. I don't really know what it was. Maybe it was something in the stars. We should ask our previous podcast guest, Daniel Page, about who was our astrology guru about that. I don't know. Long story short, I really went in for this course and man, did I need it. I learned so much. Every issue around food and my body image was spoken about in depth and it was crazy that I was really able to tackle some of these very deep-rooted issues and I'm really, really glad that it educated me on so many social issues and it was just this beautiful experience that taught me a lot about myself and I really can't recommend her course to my friends and family and you guys enough because it really did have a profound impact on me. So she is relaunching that program right now and it starts with this rad free video training series. It's just three videos that are completely free. So sign up for those at the very least um, and just check out the program. But but honestly, the program is really transformational. And I'm not saying that just because I'm her friend or I'm an affiliate of this program, which I am, but I am so incredibly passionate about this course. And it really did deeply helped me a lot. So I recommend it. And we talk about it a little bit in this episode, um, but not not really that much. Um, I could have talked about it a lot more. So if you do want to talk about it more, send me an email. Um, my email is just my name at gmail.com. Katie Dalebout is also on my website. And if you want to do this program or you just want to watch the free video training series, please click the link in the show notes um, and go check it out. And uh, like I said, if you have any questions on today's episode, past episodes, anything let me know we're gonna get right to the episode now um thank you shout out to Brianne for donating to the show last week so nice of you thank you to everyone who has donated um and everyone who's left a review on itunes thank you so much you guys rock 
um, yeah, I love you guys tons. And again, thank you to our amazing producer, Amanda. She is just really awesome. And again, if you have any questions for me about anything at all or about Isabel and her work or Stop Fighting Food Masterclass or, you know, you just want to say hi, shoot me an email and I will talk to you guys soon. All right, welcome back, everyone. Today, I have a special interview with my friend, my mentor, emotional freedom from food expert, Isabel Fox and Duke, who has personally helped me a ton in my life, and she is back again in Wonderland. I've interviewed her many times before, but today we have a fresh one, a new one, with lots of great content and questions that I put together and also questions that you guys sent to me. So I'm really excited to dive in really deep with these concepts that are, like I said, have helped me a ton and I'm excited to always hear more of them. And I always think about having conversations with Isabel as like having a tune-up, right? It's it's good to stay current on this stuff and it's good to just talk about this stuff um, whether you're new to it or whether you've been, you know, doing this work on, on body image and food stuff for a while, I, I always need a tune-up. So it's really helpful for me. So thank you for being here, Isabel. Yay. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Yay. Okay. So let's briefly just start with a bit about you and your story and your work and um, your background with this was really the, obviously the, the motivation and the inspiration, your struggles were the motivation and the inspiration for the work you do today. Mm-hmm. And, um, I would love to know, you know, take us back a little bit with that. I know you've told the story before, but I'd also love to know when you decided that you were going to make this intuitive decision to switch the way you were thinking about yourself and about food and dieting and then when did you decide and when did you know that you wanted to make a unique contribution to the field of of wellness and share this self-study course you really embarked on yourself to heal your own issues with food and weight and then when did you like take us through your story and then when you knew you could have something to share Mm. um so it's interesting because I think a lot of people kind of tell the story, and I've even been guilty of this myself just for the sake of, you know, simplicity and making interviews easier. Yeah. Um, this this idea of like, you know, I was so screwed up with food. I was, you know, diet binge cycling my whole life. Like, and, and I was, don't get me wrong. I absolutely was. I, I, you know, recently I was on the phone with a girlfriend of mine and she, and I like just blurted out, like I was like a heroin addict level binge eater who couldn't get out of bed like that was like the the depths of it at its worst for sure it was like you know just like days on end like not being able to leave my bed because I just was like so full and so stuffed and like so really angry with myself I mean that's really the worst part of of um being in sort of the binge end certainly of the diet binge cycle is um you know just like the self-loathing and the frustration with yourself and just like the feeling totally fucking crazy mm-hmm. um which you know is is kind of how i describe it today but anyway so diet binge cycling years and years and years just like like became more and more intensely crazy as time goes on i mean that's sort of the other thing about the diet binge cycle that we have to remember is that it it becomes progressive 
Um, it gets, it usually gets worse over time. Um, it usually gets more severe and usually the binges in particular become more severe because your body just reacts more and more harshly to any kind of threat of deprivation. So I remember, um, you know, there was a long period of time where I was, um, you know, trying to heal myself. And somebody said to me, you know, by the way, diets cause binge eating. I'm sure it was a therapist or, you know, I was, I was seeking clinical treatment at several points along the way of this journey. Um, and so, you know, somebody said, you know, diets probably are contributing to your binge eating. You should probably stop dieting. And so, but for a long time, I didn't understand what not dieting meant. So I, I wasn't dieting. I wasn't like on Atkins or on Weight Watchers or like trying to do a cleanse or anything like that. But I was still trying to control my food mentally, right? Because like, why, why wouldn't I? That was the whole problem. I'm, I'm a binge eater. Like, of course, I need to try to control my food. I need to try to not eat too much. I need to try to, you know, make my food look a certain way. Um, even though I didn't think that that was dieting, it, it obviously kind of was. Now I know that like, oh, food control, like trying to control your food for the purpose of making your food look a certain way is what is dieting. That is what dieting is, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when weight loss is a motivation. In fact, I would say, generally speaking, if I'm really being honest, that was my primary motivation, right? I mean, that was ultimately the reason I cared about having my food look a certain way was because I wanted to control my body, right? So as long as that was my mentality, there was a very long period of time that I thought that I wasn't dieting. And I would be like, what the hell is wrong with me? Why can't I, why do I keep binge eating? Why do I keep binge eating? And I was like, I'm not dieting anymore. I'm not dieting anymore. Why do I keep having these like horribly progressively worse and worse binge eating episodes? And I realized, you know, at some point I started to realize I was like, oh, even though I wasn't sort of, um, even though I wasn't on Atkins or Weight Watchers, so to speak, I was constantly trying to control my food for the purpose of trying to control my body. And on an emotional level, on a psychological level, I would say even on a biological level, that's gonna produce the same results for most women who really struggle with this. Yeah, that's that whole thing was a huge transformation um, in my mind of the way to look at this. When you talk about like, we use these different masks to mask what we're doing, you know, it's like, right. oh, I wanna get healthy. Um, and I want to, and for me, you know, that was kind of my window into this and you really like blew the top off of that for me when it was like really getting honest with yourself around what your motivation for how you want your food to look is. And a lot of times right. if people are really honest with themselves. Weight is really the, the root of the issue and then right. that progresses the problem. So, um, right. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I would generally say like, as long as you are actively trying to control your food for the purpose of weight, con of weight control, right. For the purpose of trying to make your body look a certain way, or even trying to make your body stay a certain way. You know, like I hear that a lot, like, I don't want to lose weight. I'm not trying to lose weight. I promise. I just don't want to gain weight. Yeah. And that it's the same thing, right? Like it's, it's weight control. It's act purposely trying to manipulate your food for the purpose of weight control. As far as I'm concerned, that is a diet. You know, like that is going. That is diet mentality. I, I would say that's a probably a, a more accurate description. Um, it's diet mentality, right? It's anytime you're like actively trying to control your weight, you're probably living in diet mentality, um, which almost always results in binge eating eventually for most people. And it this brings up a whole other topic. You know, 
the idea of like always ends up for binge eating, you know, always ends up in binge eating for people eventually. That could be years, that could be weeks, that could be hours, you know, like it could be various different time periods for different people. Generally speaking, the longer you're dieting, the more likely you are to, you know, the, the sort of the shorter the windows of periods that you're able to restrict become. Yeah. So let's let's talk about um, when did, you know, thinking about you, you start by teaching a little bit about intuitive eating as kind of like a, a baseline thing. And so I would I would love if you could kind of talk a bit about your big um, your thing with intuitive eating, which is about the hunger and fullness diet, which you say as a big joke um, mm-hmm. to the intuitive eating component. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to. So um, intuitive eating is wonderful, right? Like it's a great idea. It's helping like and it's helping loads of people. It's it's essentially giving women a blueprint for how to not diet, which essentially means how to get back in touch with your humanity, how to get back in touch with your biological instincts around food. Because after so many years of dieting, most of us forget that food is in fact a biological instinct. And so intuitive eating is essentially the reality of the situation is that it, most people, when they stop dieting, you know, they eventually fall into intuitive eating naturally without even really thinking about it or knowing what it is. Like my sister's a really good example of that. Like no one taught her about intuitive eating. She just like one day like stuck up her middle finger and was like, fuck this. I'm going to, I can't restrict anymore. Like this is driving me crazy. And, um, you know, she eventually, you know, like at first she was like eating a ton, like totally rebelling, of course. And then like eventually like she just started naturally eating according to her biological instincts, you know, like that usually is what happens when people relinquish restrictions. But for people for whom that course of action is incredibly scary, I think intuitive eating can be really helpful in like helping people transition into listening to their body in a way that makes them feel safe, you know, helps them understand their biological instincts, help them like, you know, kind of tune into it a little bit more quickly because they have an intellectual blueprint for what that means. And so intuitive eating is, you know, it's a wonderful, glorious thing. The problem that people get into with intuitive eating is that they often, it's very easy to apply diet mentality accidentally without realizing it to intuitive eating because intuitive eating in and of itself is just a blueprint for understanding your biological instincts. It is not, it does not in and of itself do anything about your emotional state. It doesn't in and of itself change your psychology. It doesn't in and of itself change the fact that like you're obsessed with trying to control your weight, weight, which is probably your core root problem for most women who have food issues, right? So Um, when I say people who are, you know, quote unquote crazy around food, when I say they often can fall into the trap, the unintended trap of, of treating intuitive eating like a diet, right? Or I call it like the hunger and fullness diet as a joke is because they're applying diet mentality. They're applying, they have, they're applying the same psychology, the same mentality that they've applied to every other diet to intuitive eating, right? They, um, all of a sudden are judging themselves based on how well they listened to their body that day. You know, like how perfectly did I eat according to my hunger and fullness signals? Did I go overboard and eat past the point of full? Am I truly hungry enough to eat this thing that I want to eat? Um, oh my gosh, I ate emotionally. I ate a cupcake when I wasn't hungry. I suck. I'm bad. My body is going to be unlovable and unacceptable, et cetera, et cetera, 
right? And this was something I'm very, I was very familiar with. And, and I think I kind of started to talk about this earlier, but then lost my train of thought, um, was this idea of like, for a really long time, I thought I was giving up dieting in different stages, right? Like every, there was so many different stages along the way where I truly thought, okay, I'm giving, this is not, this is not a diet. This is not a diet. This is not a diet. But along the way, I was applying this diet mentality kind of every step of the way. And that was my experience with intuitive eating. I was like, oh, intuitive eating, intuitive eating is, is what not dieting means. That will save me, right? That will keep me from this rebellious binge eating, et cetera, et cetera. And then I would attempt intuitive eating with such strong diet mentality, mainly because I was, I was definitely using it as an attempt to control my weight and judge my food choices and you know, draw a line between what's okay and not okay. You know, very much black and white thinking, even within the context of intuitive eating. And again, getting the same results, a lot of binge eating still in my, for several years in my, um, in my attempts at intuitive eating, because I was still bringing a lot of diet mentality to my attempts at intuitive eating, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So when you, so that was kind of your trajectory then. You were done with dieting, so you're like, okay, intuitive eating is the answer, but then you were really, you were on the hunger and fullness diet. Totally. When did you, when did you realize that that was what was going on and uh, like come up with that and how did you shift yourself out of that? Well, you know, at some point I, so I was at the time when I first learned about intuitive eating, I was going, I was going back and forth between Overeaters Anonymous and, and intuitive eating. Um, and this is something I don't actually talk about in interviews that often, but I'll, I'll tell it. So the sort of the end of my, you know, towards the end before I got to the place where I would say I was now, sort of towards the end of my journey, when I was first learning about intuitive eating, I was um, kind of bouncing back and forth between Overeaters Anonymous, which is like a meal plan based, like stick to your meal plan. If you don't stick to your meal plan, like that is essentially emotional and wrong and for all intents and purposes, like signifier of mental, like poor mental health and, um, and intuitive eating, which was in my mind, I was still applying that sort of diet mentality that of course I was also experiencing in OA um, with intuitive eating, just the hunger and fullness. But it was the difference between like meal plan versus like hunger and fullness being the boundaries by which I judged myself. And so I was back, bouncing back and forth between the two. And, um, you know, every time one would fail, I'd flip to the other, right? So every time I would like lose my shit, I'd like break my meal plan in a way and like binge for three days. Like I would be like, oh, clearly this meal plan thing doesn't work. Clearly OA doesn't work. I'm going to go to intuitive eating. And then I'd be doing intuitive eating, but I'd be applying it, you know, I'd be doing it like the hunger and fullness diet way. I'd still be applying that same diet mentality, that same good or bad, right or wrong, on or off the wagon kind of mentality to intuitive eating. And then I would say to myself, oh, you know, every time I would sort of break my intuitive eating streak or like somehow fail at intuitive eating, I'd think, oh my God, intuitive eating clearly doesn't work. And then I would go back to OA. And so I was bouncing back and forth between the two because those were the only two solutions at the time that I'd ever heard of. Like those are the only two um, non-diet in quotes, right? Even though I was still applying shitloads of diet mentality to them. Those were the only solutions that anyone really had ever given me 
for my food issues, in quotes, for like these two things. So I was kind of bouncing back and forth between the two for, for like a few years. And at some point, I just kind of had this like breakdown. I like, you know, left away, went on my last attempt at the hunger and fullness diet and ended up binging again, you know, as well. And I was just so like, I just got to the point where I was just like, oh my God, like I, like something is wrong here. Like something is like not, I, I like kind of fell to my knees in like a moment of desperation. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, like what the hell is going on? And I, I, I think I had a moment and I don't even know what influenced this. I mean, I'm sure that there were pieces of my education that led me to this conclusion. But like at some point I fell to my knees and I just thought to myself, I am not capable of controlling my food mm-hmm. in any way, whether it be the hunger and fullness diet or like a, you know, clinically prescribed meal plan. Like I'm not capable of making my food look any certain way. I'm not capable of it. Right. And um, I realized like every time I tried to control my food, every time I tried to control my food, whether it was the hunger and fullness diet or the, you know, stick to your exact weight and measured meal plan to a tea diet, either way, I, every time I tried to exert that level of control over my food and make it look a certain way, I ended up rebelling and completely like losing my shit. And I think that that was at some point, I remember like, you know, there was like a moment, I don't really remember the exact moment, but I was living in Stanford, Connecticut at the time. And I just said, you know, I can't, I'm not capable of controlling my food. I can't control my food. Like, con- controlling my food is not an option for me anymore. And I stopped and I just started eating kind of what I wanted. And if I ate when I wasn't hungry, I let it go. You know, I was just like, okay, say la vie. Like that's what just fucking happened, you know? And, um, I stopped binging. That was the only time that I ever stopped binging. I was still eating emotionally, like, you know, you know, when I was still, I was still, um, there was, you know, in, in my mind, like my food was far from perfect. And I still had some like judgmental thoughts about my food on occasion, which I only worked out later. I mean, that's sort of like the second half of the story. But that was like what the the first major breakthrough was realizing like, I'm not capable of making my food look a certain way. Like I really have to um, like, let, like truly like let go and, and let my food be what it is, or I'm going to end up like binge eating and like, you know, like gut, like lying in a gutter alley level binge eating. I mean, like that was just my experience. Um, yeah. And so that was, I, you know, I stopped binge eating. I mean, I was still, again, I was still eating emotionally sometimes. Like I'd have a cupcake when I wasn't hungry just cause I was like lonely or sad or anxious or whatever, but I didn't have like the crazy binges where you're like lying in bed, like hating yourself for three days. And for me, that was like a vast improvement. Huge. I mean, that was like huge. Like I will take emotional eating any day over that shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, again, there's sort of more to the story before I got to the point where I was like ready to coach. There was like, you know, I, I, I <laughs> there's like a whole part two of the story, but that, that was a pretty big, um, that was a pretty big Aha deal. Moment. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to get into the part two because I, I think it's really interesting talking about the concepts of your work interspersed within the story of you as a person because it makes you a better coach and and teacher of this stuff because you've you've actually been through it I think um so I want to get to that part two in a second but I guess right now I want to ask you what would you say to someone who 
um, is where you were then at that moment of like, I can't do this anymore. There's got to be a better way. That moment of awareness, how would you direct them to to start? Um, so it's funny. I have a blog post coming out about this in the next few weeks, I think. But it's interesting, this idea of like, I can't do this anymore. Like that language, that phrasing, I can't do this anymore implies like you are actively taking an action that does not work. Right? Like Mm -hmm. you are actively trying to control your food. You are actively dieting in some sense of that word. You might not call it dieting because maybe you just call it like eating healthy or whatever. Right? And again, but if it's for the function of trying to control your weight, I'm going to throw that into the diet category. Right? If if weight control is a primary motivation, I'm I'm throwing that into the diet category no matter what the fuck it is. And getting honest about that too because like I know for me – on the surface, you might be like, oh, it's not, but like you really have to go inward and admit to yourself what you already know is true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're hating yourself for like eating something that you think is like quote unquote unhealthy, like you have to like really ask yourself like where that self-loathing is coming from. Like, is it, is it body related? You know? Um, of course, and I think we've talked about this before, there's also sort of like more like orthorexic kind of like tendencies, right? Where it's like there are, of course, there's a there's a piece of it where um, women can, of course, fall into obsessive behaviors over like true health-related stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of a separate conversation and usually has more to do with anxiety as a, as a like gelling factor that makes that the case. Anxiety is usually the underlying issue there. but But I would say probably 80% of the time when women say that they're like trying to quote unquote eat healthy weight is a motivation. It's like the politically correct way to talk about dieting. Yeah. And, and like almost the trendy way to talk about dieting. And, and like, yeah. I think that's where our stories differ a little bit. Isabelle is that like my mine was more through the orthorexic lens into this kind of hitting my bottom in that way. But then even, and a lot of people that I talk to, um, have had similar experiences where it is um, orthorexia that kind of is what they're like hiding their food and weight issues behind, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's all all the same. It's all the same stuff. Yeah. Most people experience both. Yeah. Um, And I think, I think a lot of that, I certainly did, you know, like I went through, you know, again, another whole part of my story was like how I overcame, like not like completely having a panic attack over eating farm-raised salmon because of all the like chemicals or whatever that I read about one day in farm-raised salmon, you know? And, um, and I think most women do experience both. It's like, we have like, we have a, you know, mass cultural fear of food in general and like all the horrible things it's going to do to you. It's going to make you fat and it's going to kill you. Um, you know, like, um, and these two ideas support one another. The thing is the more, the more you are afraid of food because you thought it was going to make you fat, the more likely you are to buy into the whole, it's going to kill you storyline also, because we like to have things make sense. Like we like to buy, we like, we buy stories that support our existing beliefs. Food is bad. That being the existing belief. Yeah. Make sense. Yeah, completely. So yeah, so 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 I would say that it's very you know a lot of women experience both. I mean, like it's very rare that you meet somebody who's like truly fully. And this is it's not it's not impossible. There are certainly people who fall into this category. But I would say the vast majority of women who suffer from orthorexic tendencies also have weight issues or like body image issues. Yeah. And the vast and a lot of women who are dealing with body image issues to some extent, it's very easy. It's very easy to fall into orthorexic tendencies too, because you love reading that shit that that supports your belief that food is bad. 
Yeah, and then the media and everywhere you look is is supporting that all day long, like telling right. you supporting that evidence. So, um, right. so going back to like you know your, that blog post that that you're writing that's that's coming out. Where should people? Um, oh, if this me. is making sense, like where do they? Where do we kind of direct them to? Right. Kind of start? So the the thing is, I can't do this anymore. Right. Yeah. Like that's such an interesting way of phrasing it because really, like really, it is about stop doing it. You know, like stop ultimately, which is I'm not saying that's easy, but essentially, like what I want you to, what I ultimately think, like people need to consider is like what exactly is it that you can't do that you are like thinking like thinking to yourself like this is I can't do this anymore this is the action that I have to let go and I you know I would say maybe even 100% of the time like it is it's control right it's it's actively trying to control your food and therefore eventually losing control and feeling despondent about having lost that control and like sort of being back and forth you know on and off this wagon on and off the wagon on and off the wagon right? That's usually what people can't do anymore. But the thing is, is falling off the wagon is always going to be a natural response to getting on one. So if you want to stop falling off the wagon, you have to stop getting on them, period. You have to stop creating boundaries by which to judge yourself around food. You have to stop making definitions of what kind of eating is okay and not okay. You have to stop trying to make your food like look a certain way. Actively stop trying to control your weight, which or or food, right? Food Mm -hmm. in general. Let's just stick with the word food. Um and that is something that most people the reason that they don't know how to do that in quotes. Most people will be like, I don't know how to do that. The reason that most people don't know how to do that is because they're terrified of doing it. It's not that they don't know so much as that they're terrified. Yeah. Right? I think personally. Um, you know, like if I said to you, like, I'm going to wave a magic wand and you can eat whatever the hell you want and you'll never gain a pound and your body will just exactly stay exactly the same as it is. I'm making your body weight fixed despite what you eat. I am essentially taking away the, um, the, the, the relationship between food and weight. Most people would be like, figure out how to fucking eat. You know, like generally speaking, it's not that they don't know how to stop dieting so much as they're just terrified of doing it. Um, and so, yeah, because like, we're just, it's just like, oh my God, the, the idea of possibly losing control over our bodies is like so terrifying. And I think the media really plays into this a lot also, obviously, because what we're taught by diet culture, what we're taught by the media is that, um, you know, your weight is fully in your control and it's like a completely a function of the food that you put in your mouth. And that's ultimately not necessarily true. Like, again, like I said, like your food is a biological instinct to some extent. The reality of the situation is that when people stop dieting, they don't usually gain 150 pounds. You know, they don't just like turn into Veronica Blueberry and just like eat themselves to the point of like exploding. Like that's not usually the case. Um, Actually, the vast majority of my clients, like they usually stay about the same weight, like give or take like, you know, a few pounds. Like I would say like 80% stop dieting and just kind of stay the same weight. They might gain a little, they may lose a little depending on what's going on. I mean, but like they're they kind of stay in the same ballpark. Um and so, yeah, I mean, it's um but but we just like live in a we like live in a culture where people are just terrified of not dieting. They're like dieting is the only thing that's keeping me thin when in fact Probably um, the reality of the situation is that dieting is not only keeping you thin. If you're whatever weight you are, you're probably that's not necess- That's probably not because of dieting. And I would say more often than not, we have some evidence to suggest the fact that dieting is actually 
um, potentially leading to weight gain in the long term, obviously, because of all this diet binge cycling and also because of the just like dangerous effects that dieting has on your metabolism and your body and all sorts of other stuff. Yeah, and it's really good to like get a grasp on these concepts and like this conversation that we're having right now because your body's constantly going to always change through your life. And and even like if we're not talking about body image, like aging is like another thing that like yeah. finding your worth outside of um these things are is is really important. So with um with t- going back to the hunger and fullness diet a little bit and intuitive eating. So I know this is something that we've talked about before and um, something that I'm always really curious about. So with intuitive eating, a lot of times I think, you know, people kind of get started and and this is straight up hunger and fullness diet in the sense of like, um, all right, well, I just got to get through, you know, that part where I eat all the things and then it normalizes and then I'll lose weight, right? Like, and I think that's like, that is totally diet mentality. Um, yeah. I'd love if you could just like talk a little bit about that. I know it might be kind of repetitive with the other thing, but just yeah. go there. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because, um, yeah, I think that that's really comp. So there's two types of people. There's two ways that people usually approach intuitive eating in the beginning. There's the people who go hardcore hunger fullness diet, hardcore like, oh my God, I will only eat if my stomach's growling. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to only eat when my stomach's growling. I'm going to try and stop before the point of full and I'm going to be like really diligent about only eating according to my hunger, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and that then, was me. <laughs> yeah, and that was me too. And then there are the people, and this is also very common, who are like, oh, intuitive eating means eat whatever the fuck you want and then you'll get sick of eating what you want and you'll get bored of food and you'll lose weight, which is also like it's just a different version of the hunger and fullness diet Again, because what makes both of these oh, things yeah. comfortable in this diet is is ultimately motivation. You know, weight yeah. loss is the ultimate so goal. So it's like, let me eat and eat and eat and eat and eat, and then I won't want to. I di- I just need to eat more, and then I won't yes. want to. Yeah, totally. I mean, you. Probably- I'm not eating enough until then, so I won't want to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I see this all the time, and I think I've experienced this to a certain extent. You know, to a certain extent myself at different points. You know, this idea of like, well, give yourself what you want. Because if you prove to yourself that you can yeah. have the chocolate brownie, then you, you won't want, want it anymore. Yeah. Right. And again, it's so manipulative. It's so cyclic. It's like you're trying to trick yourself into into wanting a certain thing, and therefore trying in, in, and therefore getting a certain body. Right. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, that doesn't work either, guys. Sorry to blow your cover. Um. <laughs> ultimately, right? Like the only way to actually, because you, because your brain knows, like your biology, your instincts are smarter than your conscious mind. You know, like if you're eating a brownie for the hopes of not wanting it tomorrow, you're still like subconsciously putting yourself into this position of like brownies are bad tomorrow. I shouldn't want it slash shouldn't have it. Mm-hmm. So then you just keep eating brownies, hoping that you won't want the brownie anymore. But it's like the more you hope that you won't want the brownie, the more you want the brownie. It's not that different than the more you put the brownie, the more you try not to eat the brownie, the more you're going to want the brownie. It's actually the same thing. It actually is psychologically doing the same thing. Did yeah. I explain that effectively? Yeah, no, I'm just like sinking it in. I think that's I'm so glad we talked about that because I think that that a lot of times um, I know this is this is kind of like what I thought when I first got into this. That was kind of like um, 
like a makeover like you just need it it's like putting one of those like mud masks on your face you know yeah and it's yeah. like it gets worse before it gets better but then you take it off and it's like better than it ever was before you know but it's not right. it's not yeah. really like that so um yeah I'm glad well, we talked about that yeah I mean it is sort of but but I mean if your motivation is to and it's right. absolutely true like I think that like there's some truth to it in the sense that like I think a lot of people um, do end up eating more like foods that they've put off limits when they first transition into intuitive eating or normal eating or whatever you want to call it. Like that's like a natural phenomenon that we see all the time. Like when I first started eating intuitively, like I was eating just like nut butter constantly. And now like the idea of having nut butter with a spoon like grosses me out. Like, you know, like that's just sort of like a natural thing that happens. But when you're purposefully conscious, when you're purposefully trying to make yourself not like a food, or be sick of a food through eating the food, which is, I think, one thing that people do get trapped in intuitive eating. It that tr- that attempt at tricking yourself is actually keeping you stuck mm-hmm. in the phase of keep eating brownies, keep eating brownies, keep eating. because you're psychologically you're still go you're still saying to yourself, okay, well tomorrow I shouldn't have the brownies, or tomorrow I shouldn't want the brownies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is so good. This conversation so good. So. Let's let's just go back a little bit to your story and to and to part two. So then, what was next for you for really like cementing this stuff and um, making this a, a point where you realized like, okay, I'm onto something here, and really like taking it to the next level and and going deeper. Um. So like, are you asking like at what point did I or like what changed before I felt like I had something to share? Yeah, I want to know that, and I want to know like. I, I think for me, um, and and I, I bet a lot of people can relate to this, like you, with dieting especially, you can feel like it's, it can be very isolating, right? You can feel like, well, that works for everyone else, but not me, you know? So when right. did you realize that like you weren't alone in this diet binge cycle that you were on and um, all these tendencies and you were like, wait a minute, this is everybody deals with this. It's crazy. Well, I, I knew that I wasn't alone for a long time. Cause like I said, you know, I was in rehab at one point, I was in Overeaters Anonymous for many years. You know, I knew, I, I mean, I knew I wasn't alone, mm-hmm. but I also didn't have a fucking solution because right. not very many people were giving us one. I mean, if you think about like food issues in general, they have very, very low rates of, of recovery in quotes, because not very many people are giving like a real solution. And also this is like a whole nother topic. But um, I would say also, because this is so steeped in like cultural hatred of fatness and like cultural, like, you know, um, obsession with weight, particularly for women, like this is just a very difficult thing for um, it's a, it's very, very low rates of getting out of the situation, unfortunately. Um, so I knew I wasn't alone, but I also was like, who the fuck is like, no one's giving me a solution here. Like there wasn't no an, you actually, needed an Isabel Fox and Duke. <laughs> I needed, yeah, I needed, I needed, I wish I knew me 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, but so after I kind of got to this point where I was like, okay, the hunger and fullness diet doesn't work. And I, I eat intuitively naturally again, right? Like sometimes I eat emotionally, but like generally speaking, I eat when I'm hungry and I'm full without really thinking about it. Because again, intuitive eating is what you do naturally, biologically for the most part when you're not dieting anyway. So it's not that I think it, intuitive eating, I actually think is a great thing. I think applying diet mentality to intuitive eating is what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, so yeah, so I was ba- you know, bouncing back and forth between intuitive eating and meal plan and whatever, and then kind of you know had this moment where I thought to myself, you know, like I'm not c- 
incapable of controlling. Like every time I try to control my food, every time I try to make my food look a certain way, I like lose my mind. Um, and so that was like, you know, that was like big aha moment number one. Um, but then beyond that, it really became a conversation. What ended up happening when I first, when I first started doing that, I realized that dieting was no longer an option for me. And sometimes I get clients who come to me at this stage that I'm about to describe. I realized that dieting was no longer an option for me. I wasn't really binge eating anymore. I, I was not binge eating anymore. I would say that definitively. I wasn't binge eating anymore, really. Um, and I knew that dieting wasn't an option. I knew that trying to control my food and make it look a certain way was not an option. I knew I was not capable of that. And I knew that every time I tried to do that, I got myself into a deeper and deeper hole. Um, so I'd given that up, but I still felt like shit about my body. I still felt like what the, you know, I still felt like, oh, I suck for eating emotionally sometimes. I still felt like, and not really, like I kind of like, I wasn't so horribly beating myself up for it because again it was sort of like okay say la vie like can't do sh anything about this mm -hmm. um but I but I still felt like a little bit like what's there's what's wrong with me like what's different about me like why everyone's telling me that I should be able to control my weight like everyone on the planet is telling me that I should be able to control my weight I should be able to like forcibly make myself look a certain way and you know even though I was I knew that trying historically to control my food either through the hunger and fullness diet or meal plan or whatever or like traditional diets etc cetera, etc cetera, always backfired there was definitely still a part of me that was like felt like there was something wrong with me or um you know like just badly about my body you know like mm -hmm. I, I think that that you know th there was a part of me and I, I think a, some of my clients come come to me in this state where they feel like they're like I've surrendered the fact that I you know I've surrendered diets like I realize that I can't diet anymore but I just feel like shit about myself because of it and I just kind of feel like a failure I just feel yeah. like I've you know etc and so um so I was kind of like walking through the, the, you know, the world being like, oh, I guess this is how it is. Like, I guess like I just can't do this thing that other people can do. And I um, eventually started working with Sarah Jenks, who I probably referenced before. She has a program called Live More Way Less. Um, and Sarah Jenks, you know, kind of introduced me to this whole new concept, which was kind of an interesting one at the time. I'd never done any body image work before. I, it had never occurred to me to do body image work. I mean, I just kind of thought, like, why would I do body image work? I don't want to accept this body. Like, my body sucks. I just want to get thin, and then I won't have to do body image work, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I met Sarah Jenks, and Sarah Jenks introduced me to what is now a very trendy and hip idea, which is this idea of, you know, love yourself to lose weight. That body acceptance somehow will, that you're eating, you're feeling, like you're eating emotionally over the fact that you hate your body and therefore hate your life, right? And that women can, will always continue to eat emotionally as long as they hate their body. It's, you know, as long as they hate their bodies and don't accept their bodies. And, you know, she kind of introduced this concept. I mean, she didn't invent it. She had some predecessors before her um, who, who um, kind of talked about this idea of like, it's this love yourself to lose weight concept. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first time I ever even considered doing body image work. And body image work is what I would say is sort of like the, the majority of part two of getting to where I am. Now, when I started working with Sarah, I started making an effort for the first time in my life to actually attempt body love, right? Because prior to that, I never really made an earnest attempt. I mean, I was like, oh, yeah, I should love my body, but like, whatever, 
you know, like I didn't really try and really think about it. It wasn't really, but this idea that loving myself could somehow make me thinner, like lit a fire under my ass. I was like, oh, I should work towards body love. And so I was, you know, progressively working more and more towards body love, learning everything I could about body acceptance, body positivity. I started learning about, um, you know, sort of body positive politics and doing all the stuff in the body image space. And ultimately what ended up happening is that I did not lose a pound, but I was happier and I did love myself more and I was more confident when I went out and I was, I felt better. I mean, I like, I, I felt good about myself without having lost a pound. And, um, I realized kind of somewhere along the way when it was when I was working with Sarah that I, I was sort of, I had been secretly writing this blog with all of my thoughts about this stuff. Um, and not really sharing anywhere one. And it was when I was working with Sarah that I showed her the blog. I hadn't showed it to anyone. And Sarah was like, oh, my gosh, you have to publish this. Like, you have to actually promote this. You have to put this out into the universe. And that was sort of the beginning of my business. So when I first started my business, I was literally, like, basically at the point where I was like, diets don't work. Like, my food is, like, going to be perfectly imperfect for the rest of my life, which is a term that I actually don't really like. But you, you kind of get the idea. Mm-hmm. I had like accepted that my food was going to be what it was going to yeah. be, that I wasn't capable of controlling it. And, um, and I was really diving into body acceptance for the first time and really experiencing results from that, not weight-related results, but just like effing happiness re- yeah. results, like just sanity results, like just feeling like, oh, you know, ultimately the difference – the the sort of new wave that I went into was, you know what, I'm going to talk about food. I'm going to talk about recovering from binge eating. I'm going to talk about, you know, emotional behaviors and compulsive behaviors about food. And I'm going to talk about body acceptance, but I'm not going to make it about weight loss because the more I learned about um, body positivity and body acceptance, et cetera, et cetera. And the more studying I did, the more research I did, I discovered Linda Bacon. I discovered Hell at Every Size. I started learning about weight set point theory. I realized, oh, not only am I not capable of controlling my food, I'm also probably not capable of controlling my weight. Mm. Isabel, this is so cool, This the way that this like conversation has gone, because I've really gotten to hear like the entire the entirety of like your story and having taken your course, Stop Fighting Food, um, which we can talk about in a minute, it's really cool to see the trajectory of like this curriculum that you went through yourself. You really hmm. take people through it in that exact same format. Like you kind of, you got to start with the intuitive eating and yep. then you have to build up to the body image. And it's really cool that you like, and that's what I admire most about you um, is that you're really the only or the only one that I know of and the one that I'm closest with doing this work and so um, fearlessly not selling weight loss with it. And that's scary to people and that's off-putting to people. And I think it's like you have to be ready for it, but it's so powerful and it's so cool. And it's just, it's really cool to see this, like the trajectory of your life and then how it's now impacted my life in in a similar way and it's it's just it's really cool I have chills kind of like hearing the entirety of the conversation yeah yeah I mean you're you're absolutely hit the nail on the head this is sort of like the ultimate punchline as long as you're trying to lose weight you're gonna feel crazy on some level to some degree Mm -hmm. um sanity really only comes when you stop trying to lose weight and actually work towards loving your body as it is as it wants to be without any ulterior motives right? right like love yourself to lose weight being an example of an ulterior motive. Yeah. And I think Um, that's the goal that people are really after with weight loss is 
you know, and you've taught me this, is that what they think weight loss will bring them, you know? So maybe mm-hmm. you could talk about that a little bit. It's like, you know, you were able to find those things, that acceptance, that love, that, um, you know, all those great feelings without losing weight, where as before you thought that those things were only possible if you did lose weight. Is that something you mm-hmm. find a lot of people also think? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I... um I, yeah, and that's a very hard thing for people to wrap their brains around, and it is a complicated thing because, you know, people see evidence of weight discrimination and, like, you know, people being treated differently on the basis of weight all the time. So, you know, the vast majority of the time I think that people want to be thin, it's because they want to control how other people think about them, right? Like, Mm -hmm. no one cares about being thin on a desert island. Um, But the reality of the situation is we tend to, like, blow that up in our minds so much, like, ultimately like women of I you know I always tell my clients every day like women of size of all sizes all day long you know all body shapes and sizes like get married and have like wonderful relationships and wonderful friendships and like wonderful communities like when you like actually stop dieting and stop trying to manipulate your body you're like okay like this is what I have to work with this is what my body looks like like this is just what's going on right now I'm gonna go out there and actually try to create the things I always tried to create with thinness, right? Like I'm going to actually go try to create wonderful, healthful, positive relationships in my life at the size I am, right? Like when yeah. you give up on, on the trying to lose weight to get the things you think you want, ultimately what that does, it opens up the space for you to actually go get the things you yes. want right now. Yeah. Right. That, is, yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. It's so really we focus so much on making our bodies look really great, but we can just focus on our life being really beautiful. And that's where you can feel better. I mean, it's a much more um, useful and practical way to live because, again, most of your attempts at trying to manipulate your body are going to backfire. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, the reality of the situation. Yeah. For better or for worse. Like, it just is what it is, you know? Like, I don't even, like, put, like, a value judgment. I just say that in a completely neutral, like, factual way. Like, most of your attempts at trying to control your body are probably going to backfire. Given that information, what is the most practical way to move forward if the reason that you want to be thin is to get X, Y, and Z? Okay, well, the most practical solution of trying to manipulate my body is just fundamentally not going to work. Is to actually go try to get X, Y, Z at the body you you have right now. Yeah. I kind of equate this to the spiritual concept of like non-attachment, you know, when you're not attaching um, all this worth to a certain thing, it just kind of can can dissipate. And that's, you know, it's difficult mentally to, to get to that point. But but when you do it, it's a lot happier. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, non-attachment in the sense of like, we force I guess non-attachment and the idea that, like, we, uh, I mean, the idea of attachment kind of reminds me of this sort of thing where we just only believe we're capable of getting, I think one of the traps that women fall into is they believe they're only capable of getting healthful relationships at a certain weight. Mm-hmm. And that's something that really needs to change, right? Like, that's not true. It's just a belief system. And I think that's one of the most important belief systems that people have to work on in their body image work is understanding that they are actually capable of creating healthful relationships. They actually are capable of, like, you know, being an internet celebrity or, you know, whatever it is at, yeah. dif- at different, at whatever Career, size. Career, relation, all of it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Um, so let's dig into that body image concepts a little bit and I have some some listener questions that I that I want to go through so um, in the vein of body image 
What, and this is a question that people had, what do you do to, or did you, you know, when this was an issue for you and help your clients to do, to shift out of a, a bad body image day, right? Like, you know, you've talked about this before, like in the morning you're fine, but then you get, you know, a weird look in a window or your pants are too tight or whatever, and you find yourself judging your body. Um, what, what do you recommend, like, in that moment um, to shift out of it? Um... So we talk about this a little bit in the program. So right now we're talking about a very specific kind of body image trigger, which mm-hmm. is like my pants don't fit, right? As opposed to a body image trigger. Sometimes people feel badly about their bodies because they're just like wake up and the sky is blue and they're just like having a day where they hate their bodies and they don't even know why, which is a whole nother. That's more like psychologically triggered and that's a whole separate conversation. But right now we're just talking about the specific trigger of, oh shit, my pants don't fit my, um, you know, I got on the scale and it went up or whatever, which is essentially the only reason we care about our pants not fitting is, again, what we make our pants not fitting mean, right? We make our pants not fitting mean. I've gained weight. Therefore, I am inherent. I am less lovable than I was yesterday. I am losing my love value. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really like the belief ultimately that we have to challenge is, right? Like, am I less lovable because I'm, you know, like my weight went up or because my, my pants don't fit, but essentially it's a social, it's a social construction, right? This idea that like being a certain, like being fatter, which is all relative, right? Relative to like wherever you started for the most part, right? Like mm-hmm. I always say like a, a 180 pound woman could lose 30 pounds and she's going to feel so great about herself and 110 pound women could gain 20 pounds and still be thinner than that other woman but she's going to feel like shit about herself, yeah. right? It's like, it's all, re- we're always like comparing ourselves to ourselves, Um it seems in the body image world. I mean, certainly we compare to other people also, but there's a lot of comparing ourselves to ourselves when it comes to things like our pants not fitting. That is inherently like a relative state of thinking. Yeah. Um, and yeah, ultimately it's just like when our pants don't fit and we get upset, all that means is like somehow we think that we're like failing at our ability, like societal, like our ability to be loved by society, where somehow like our, our love value has gone down. And that's ultimately, I think, where we need to start challenging our thinking process and really start doing, you know, more body positive work and really understanding that it is like social constructionism that we um, are made to feel bad about ourselves or allow ourselves to feel feel badly about ourselves because we feel like we're like losing the weight wars or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it, it's, it's a much bigger conversation. Unfortunately, I don't think that there's anything I can say in this particular interview. This is a much longer uh, state of much longer conversation that I usually have with clients over the course of several months. You yeah. know that Katie. Yeah. Um, but ultimately that's, that's like the beginning is to just think about it as really understanding why you're upset when you when your pants don't fit all that's happening is that like you feel like you have like lost your ability to be loved by some sort of like social construction right yeah. like because it's like some like social idea of like what fat means um and that's what you ultimately need to challenge mm, very good so um you know like you said this is a much bigger conversation there's a lot deeper we can go with that, but I would love it if you could give right here some of your favorite methods for helping people improve their, their body image that they can get started with, um, today right now. Well, you know, my favorite Katie, (laughs) which is, um, 
making sure that you actually have role models of people in your life. This that is are- key. I can attest to it. Yeah, it's like it's probably the most powerful strategy that exists. And, and you've heard me say this before. It is actually the only scientifically proven yeah. way, like meaning that there have been research studies about it. The only, it's the only scientifically proven way to change a woman's body image is to actually sh- put visual images of women her size or bigger in front of her face. Right? Like actually expose yourself to pictures of women who look like you or are even bigger than you. And like kind of like essentially like like that will change your brain. Like the idea of like having a picture of somebody who is like living their life fully and like not dead and not like, you know, you know, burning up in flames who is your size or bigger, right? Like just like exposing yourself to images of women your size or bigger on a regular basis event starts to change your brain. Um, there's some like con- there, there's a little bit it's contested whether or not have those images being aspirational is important but like I think that it's important right like aspirational meaning you know like pictures of women who you think are like wearing cool clothes and like who are like living a life that you aspire to at your size or bigger yeah. like I think that that's a really big deal you know like when I started like making a discipline of like looking on Instagram at pictures of plus size models who are like wearing awesome clothes and like clearly just are badasses and like, you know, like being loved left and right and, you know, getting all of the things that I associate with thinness, it changes my idea of what's possible for me at my own size. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, that's definitely number one. I mean, that's something that you can start doing immediately. Like everyone should just be like, make a discipline of looking at pictures of people your size or bigger on the internet as often as you can. Uh, Instagram, I think, is the best tool for this. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and I just want to add, too, that, and, and you said this before, Isabel, but, like, and this was my experience for sure, when you first hear this, or maybe you've heard us talk about this before, and if you have, like, actually try it. Because when you first hear about this, I know for me, I was like, yeah, yeah, all right, like, that's not going to help that much, and I don't really want to do that, and it can be scary, and you can you can look at them and actually, like, not, like, think it's beautiful or think it's great, but that's, that's not the point. The point at first is just to do it, and then eventually, um, you know, you'll, you'll start to shift your perceptions about yourself and them. And it's, it's, I'm so glad that I learned that from you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, most, most people are very uncomfortable when they first start looking at pictures of women, their size or bigger. Most women are like really turned off by it. And you know, their, their fat phobia, so to speak, starts screaming like, Oh, gross. You know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's good. I mean, that it means it's challenging you and you should keep looking at these photos over and over and over and over and over again until that perspective starts to change, until it starts to become a little easier to look at those pictures and a little easier to look at those pictures. And then like one day you're like, oh, like I actually really like her shirt. Yeah. And then one day you're like, oh, her butt's kind of cute. You know, yeah. it, it slowly evolves, but it's totally natural to like at first look at pictures of women who are your size or bigger and think like, oh, gross. Yeah. Um, that's natural, but the idea is to just like keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, and it actually, like, again, sci- only scientifically proven way to change a person's body image over time. And then one day, hopefully, you're looking in the mirror like, oh, my butt kind of looks like hers, and I thought hers was cute, so then mine is cute, and then yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the magic. Yeah, that's the real. That's the real win. So the next thing I want to talk about is. For people who have been in an unnaturally thin body and been, you know, successful in the sense that they were able with dieting, in the sense that they were able to control their weight for a period of time, um, mm-hmm. can you talk about like the morning of the loss of 
that body that they had been in and the fact that our bodies are constantly changing but when they feel nostalgic for that that body that they had been in or preoccupied by that or comparing themselves to that can you talk about what's going on there and how to kind of stop the thoughts negative thoughts with that yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I just want to like comment on this definition of successful, right? Because the reality of a situation is most people are temporarily able to control their weight. It, yeah. Well, when I say that diets don't work and I'm not capable of controlling my work, that's a long-term, long-term idea. Mm-hmm. Short-term, most people are able to lose weight in the beginning. Again, the more you diet, the less able you are to stick to a diet historically, right? That's just like statistical changes for people. It's not like a set science. But ultimately, the trend we see over time is that the longer a person diets, the longer a person restricts, the less able they are to restrict, the less able they are to create weight loss or maintain weight loss. Um, but sure, yeah, most people who have had a diet history have a, have at least some example of a time in their life when they were able to like lose weight, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I think that that's what gets people that would, that's what keeps people dieting for a really long time is they have this idea of like, Oh, dieting works. I just failed at it. I just sucked at it because I broke it. And they yeah. take on the idea, right? They, they take Isolated. on the idea that it's their fault mm-hmm. that the diet didn't work as opposed to understanding that biologically speaking, that's sort of how diets function. They are, you know, we know that biologically speaking, people usually are capable of like losing weight short term, but they generally almost always gain it back and often gain it back plus some. Um, but again, different periods of time. Sometimes this is years for people, sometimes it's months. You know, again, it changes. It's all kind of all over the map. Um, but yeah, so most women have had the experience of like, I used to be thinner. Why can't I get back there? Or I'm sad about not being able to get back there or whatever. I mean, I, you know, was 40 pounds lighter than I am at my lowest weight. Um, and so totally like everyone has that experience. You know, I don't think anyone is like necessarily like unique or different for having had that experience. I think that that is the common experience. Mm -hmm. This question of mourning the loss of that body is really interesting because again, you're, you're mourning something that you were never going to be able to keep probably like 1% of dieters keep that going for more than, you know, whatever it is, three to five years or whatever the statistic is, you know, different, different statistics are like slightly off in their percentages and numbers. But generally speaking, you know, you're, you're mourning something that you were never capable of, of, of keeping most likely. You were, generally speaking, it's just, it just would not be possible for most people long term. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing. Like I often think to myself, like, you know, I think a lot of people come to me and they say things like, well, maybe just like short term, I'll just like go on a diet and like lose some weight and like I can lose weight short term and I don't care that I gain it back. And I'm like, okay, but you should also probably know that, you know, there's a few things going on here that you should consider when you try that. One, you might not be able to lose the weight because you may have lost your ability to control since the time that you last thought, you know, last were that size or whatever, right? Because your ability to control gets weaker over time, usually. And also the potential for binge eating and rebound weight gain is very high with every attempt, right? So like actually, (laughs) I often tell people, even if your goal were to be as thin as possible, your best bet is to probably just step out of your own way and not try to control anything. Because every time you try to control something, there is a risk of you pushing your set point weight up in the long term. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so all of these things are just, you know, I'm just kind of talking about weight set point theory and, and sort of these sort of like more just 
specific ideas, which are just that this, this idea of like mourning the body I used to have is, is, is you're, you're mourning something that was never going to be anything probably other than temporary. Mm. Um, now, yeah, I think that there's also something to be said for like, sort of like crying over spilt milk, you know, like, yeah, like you had a moment where you were thin through force and then you lost it which was what was probably going to happen. Like there was never a time that like you didn't fail at that. That was what was going to happen from the beginning. It's not your fault. It's just, that's just kind of the, the biology of it. You know, your body is not, does not like to be starved, which is essentially what fat loss is an indicator of, right? Like we lose weight when we don't eat enough and therefore we have to go into our reserve fuel system, which is what our fat cells are, reserve fuel for starvation, right? In the case of starvation. Um, and that was just sort of, you know, that was just sort of the deal from, from day one. Now we can be sad about the fact that like, I think, I think when we talk about mourning, it's probably more accurate to say like mourning the idea that I could permanently be thin or that I could have a different body than I actually have. And I think that that is a personal process, you know, like, getting comfortable with the idea that like, this is just my body. This is just the way it looks. And long-term permanently speaking, this is probably just the way it's going to look like I'm not necessarily super in control of my weight. Long-term is something that requires letting go of the, the dream of that's being sold to you every day. You know, the myth of meritocracy around weight, the myth that like I can control my body. I can you know, not only control my body, but control all the people around me with it, right? Like I can lose X, Y, and Z number of pounds permanently, and I can get Prince Charming, and I can become, you know, famous on the internet, et cetera, et cetera, right? Through, through weight loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, I think that there certainly is like a natural period where you kind of like let go of that dream, so to speak. Like you let go of this like hope that one day a different body will relinquish you of all your suffering. Yeah. Um, and that is, it certainly can be hard. Again, it's a personal process to like deal with that. But at the end of the day, once you've dealt with that, you are free. I mean, you are free. You are no longer hustling for like a futile, like totally, um, like you're not, you're not going to spend the rest of your life working towards something that might not be possible. You're actually have the opportunity to like move on to goals that maybe you can achieve. Yeah. Oh, this is so good. Cause I think so many people, it's like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll lose weight for this specific event or this, um, wedding or whatever, whatever. But, you know, there's like, A, you may not even be able to, and then you're not enjoying the event because you're so preoccupied by this. And, you know, then the whole other component that you talked about with, you know, your body and your metabolism and your set point, and it's just, it's fascinating. So I'm so glad that we touched on that and you talked about that in a really great way. Yeah. So something that contributes to that and is and contributes to all of this is, um, the media and the types of body shapes and the lack of diversity and body um, with the way that celebrities and, and TV specifically people are portrayed. And this is a question that I got um, from a listener. And, you know, she was saying, like, it's, 
it's easy to make your Instagram feed really body diverse, but it's hard to make the TV shows that you enjoy um, diverse. And in a reality, you know, that can that can be triggering for people. So mm-hmm. um, what do you suggest, you know, when people are um, watching movies and TV to, um, you know, kind of help themselves in that area? Yeah, so, you know, it kind of depends on where you're at you know, and what you can handle. Um, I mean, if you're like in a place where just like, you know, seeing glamorized images of women on TV at a certain size, like completely triggers you, then, you know, you always have the option to not watch that TV show, even though that sucks, you know, like I know it sucks. Um, or you can continue to watch it and like, you know, like deal with the fact that you're triggered by it. You know, there, there's, you're a human being with autonomy. You kind of have to make those choices for yourself. It is very unfortunate that we do not have more body diversity on television. We also don't have very much racial diversity on television. We also don't have much, you know, lots of television is flawed. The media is flawed. We have to accept that right now. I mean, at work to change it. Absolutely. But there is something to be said for the fact that like, that is a shitty situation that I can't you know do anything about myself unfortunately um so given the shitty situation like what are you gonna do like you have to like make choices for yourself based on your comfort level ultimately at the end of the day the more body image work you do the less likely you are to be triggered by that situation you know like i don't get triggered at this point in my life by looking at thin women like i look at thin women i'm just like oh that's their size this is my size like that's it you know like we're all different like it's okay like you know, like there are thin women, there are fat women, there are big, and I, we've talked about this before in interviews. Mm-hmm. I'm using the, the word fat very intentionally here. Um, but, you know, there are just women of all sizes. I don't, at this point, like when you get to the point where you are comfortable in your own body and realize like, this is just what I look like. And like, it's cool. There's lots of other people who look like me in the world. And there's lots of people who don't look like me in the world. There are women who are thinner than me. There are women who are fatter than me. There are just, you know, there's just all sorts of shit going on. And yep. Mm-hmm. There, there's privileges dispensed differently between us. That is true. But ultimately, you know, I have the, 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 my lot in life, right? Like this is the body that I was given. Similarly, the way like I was raised in a family with a certain amount of money, you know, like I could spend my time being like really upset about the fact that like, you know, another kid had richer parents than me. But I mean, it's a waste of my time, you know, like it just is what it is. Yeah. Um, so essentially when you look at like a thin woman and you get triggered, essentially it's like sort of like jealousy, not of her body necessarily, right? Or maybe of her body, but like of what her body represents, of the privileges that she's getting because she's thin. Like, oh, people look at her and think she's so beautiful. Oh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Thin women get all sorts of privileges, right? Yeah. But essentially when you make peace with like where you're at and, you know, the privileges you have and just like, you know, just like really just get comfortable with the fucking reality of the situation like at some point you realize like I'm always going to meet people who are richer than me I'm always going to meet people who are thinner than me like that just is a situation that just situation just is what it is yeah it's Um, being comfortable with who you are yeah yeah all all senses of that so totally now that being said of course like if you're really really early on in this and like you're easily triggered by you know stuff you have to be you have to make those decisions for yourself about what you want to take yourself out of what you want to watch what you're what you're comfortable with what you're not comfortable with like that's a personal decision um and so you know i think that it's always especially in the beginning like really really great to you know protect yourself from triggering situations as you define them for yourself but ultimately i want everyone to know that the long term goal here is not to not be able to look at thin women the long term goal is to be able to look at a thin woman and just be like that's her body this is mine like it's all good and they're both beautiful yeah 
Cool. So, you know, the the last thing I really want to, I could, I have like 10 more questions, so, you know, you'll be back eventually. But, mm-hmm. and the last thing I, I really want to touch on is what is like the biggest resistance to that you get to your work from um, coaching clients and, and people in your program that, um, you know, especially with the, like the health conversation that you feel um, that we could address here? Because I think there's probably so many people listening who are like, and I know that this was the case for me when I first found your work, and it's like, aha, okay, oh my gosh, this makes sense, but, 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 um, you know, what are, what are some of the big resistances that, that you find that you get to this? Mm, the resistance probably harkens back to what we just spoke about, which is that people don't want to give up the hope that there's some magic diet that will lead them to their perfect body and will relinquish them of their struggling. Right. And we'll just like, you know, make their life better. And like Prince Charming will come up on his white steed and life will be perfect. You know, like that is, I think what a lot of women are after when they are trying to lose weight, right? Like women do not, women love dieting because of the hope that like this one will work, this one will make me thin. And therefore, once I'm thin, I will get all this other shit, right? And so everything in my life will improve. Everyone will love me. I'll be super popular. Everyone will respect me. You know, I, you know I'll be the queen of the world, so to speak, at whatever size it is that I think I'll be the queen of the world at. And so I think that the the biggest resistance for people is, uh, you know, I think what's probably hardest is it is it's not easy to, like, give up the dream, so to speak. Like, people like dreaming about it. The question is, if you're dreaming about something that might is has a very, very, very low chance of happening, right, Mm -hmm. is that dream working against you or for you? Like, it might feel nice to, like, have the dream. Like, it would also be nice if I, like, won the fucking lottery, like. But if I'm playing the lotto every day instead of going out and getting a job, is that really in my best interest? Exactly. You know, um, I would say no. I would. It's probably a lot more practical for me to like go out and like yeah. you know, work a nine to five than like buy lotto tickets all day long. Like that's what that's you know what crazy people do essentially, right? Like it's not <laughs> rational. <laughs> um, so yeah. So I, I think. Um, you know, that sort of like, it's hard. Like these are hard truths. Like these are not comfortable things. Like I, my interviews and, and my work in general, and you know this, Katie, like my program is not comfortable. Yeah. It's not like make you feel warm and fuzzy inside all the time. Like I'm going to tell it to you straight. Yeah. And that's hard. It's really, really hard. But ultimately, it's, so needed. it's for your best interest, I promise. Yeah. You know, like- <laughs> and, you know, I can attest to this too. Like, it, it, you're right. It's it's hard and it's harsh and it's like these harsh realities and it's 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 what I needed. It's like that smackdown that I needed. But I will say that at the end, after you go through it and get to the other side, it does feel warm and fuzzy and really awesome and it's just a way better way to live. And right. um, I never, no I longer never could have imagined that. Well, because you're no longer living. The reality of the situation is that even though the dream is so great, right now most of you are just living in the slog of the diet binge hell. Like we think that like there's like some day that this like fantasy of like for you know weight loss and charm Prince Charming is coming, but ultimately the reality of the situation is that you are just currently living in diet binge hell and probably have for a long time. 
Yeah. Right. So the thing is, is when you get, when you give up, ultimately, when you give up the dream of like, oh my gosh, I'll like lose, finally get thin and, you know, Prince Charming will come along. When you give that up, you, it is, it's hard to give that up. But the benefit of it is that you get out of the diet binge hell. The diet binge hell, it becomes null and void. It stops happening. You're not dieting anymore. So you're not binging anymore. So you're not in the craziness anymore. You can like do other things with your time. You can like move on with your life. You can yeah. have a life. Yeah. You know, and that's what's warm and fuzzy is that like when you give up the unattainable, this unattainable crazy dream that you've been sold by the diet industry, right? Which is a dream that is like basically designed to keep women down, by the way, but that's like a whole nother conversation, right? When you give up that dream, what you get is a life. Yeah. You know, what you get is an opportunity to like go after like actual like realistic achievements for yourself. Like you know, a lot of people say, like, you know, the, the feminist diatribe about this is, is essentially um, that weight loss goals were designed to keep people in the, you know, was designed, were designed to keep women in this crazy cycle and keep them distracted to keep them from becoming more powerful in the world. Yeah. And essentially, it's like, I want to get rid of this insane, nonsensical distraction that was designed to keep you from being powerful in the world, designed to distract you from being powerful in the world. So you can actually go do the things that you're meant to do, yeah. right? The things that like your humanity like really like truly rests on, the things that, you know, actually have an opportunity to make you happy because you can actually accomplish them perhaps. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So true. So amazing. And oh, this is, this is so good. So um, I know I said that that was going to be the last question, but I actually saw one more that somebody um, sent and that's really good, but it, it connects with this other piece. So you have this program, Stop Fighting Food Masterclass, that I am actually a graduate of, a participant in myself, and completely changed my life, and in ways that I have told you this before, that I, like, didn't even know. I was like, wow, it, it was more, I knew it would be cool because I liked your work and had interviewed you, but then when I actually participated in it, it it took it to a level that I, I never even knew existed. So it's Thanks, really yeah. cool. We talked about the exact um, syllabus of it, basically, by <laughs> going through your story, you know, and, and seeing how, you know, first it was intuitive eating, then the body image layer, and then there's layers even after that that we didn't even get into today in this interview um, yeah. that, it, that are in the program that are probably the most important when we get into um, yep. looking at this as a social yeah. issue. Um, yeah. But yeah, it really changed my life. And so I want to just know from you, you know, what are what are you most excited about in taking people through this program um, for the, the second time this year? Mm. Well, you know what? I'm actually really excited to see um, if it how, how the program evolves this year with just having different people in it. I mean, the, the thing that I really like learned that I loved about group coaching last year is like you have like different characters like showing up. And, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like offering their situations. Like, so for example, like, like you heard like lots of everyone in the program gets to basically like hear each other's stuff and essentially get everyone sort of like one by one gets the IFD smackdown. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, 
I'm just really, really thrilled to be able to get to meet new people and sort of meet new puzzles. I actually really like challenging cases, so to speak, or like challenging, um, you know, people who who come to my program and be like, I've tried everything. What the mm-hmm. hell are you going to do for me? I'll be like, <laughs> just give me just give me a chance. I have a, I have a feeling I'll be able to give you some some uh, new ideas to work with. Um, yeah, I really like uh, people who think that they're unfixable. It's the, they're yeah. the most they're the most exciting people to work with because they're, they're, um, the, the reward and the satisfaction of, of, um, being able to actually like make a difference in their behaviors is that much greater. Yeah. That, that's an interesting thing from, from being in the course and people, you know, chiming up, asking a question that to me just seemed so hard. And like you were saying, a challenging case. And I remember thinking like, oh man, Isabel, how was she going to possibly answer this question? And then you just kill it, you know, and like <laughs> you would just have this and they, they, not only you would kill it, but like you would completely, I would see them be like, oh, okay, I understand. Yeah. All right. And it would just completely like dissipate. It was like, it was like a massage where you're like pressing hard on that, you know, tension point and then it just goes away. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so that's, that's the most fun for me. I like challenging cases. If you're a challenging case. Like, I want to work with you. Yeah, I want to work with you. I want to, like, you know. Yeah. I want to show you some shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's a there's a Facebook group, so we all really got to know each other. And um, and this brings me to my, my last question that I wanted to ask you. And, and you, you talk about this a lot with um, the, this program and why this program, I think, probably the reason that it was most effective, I think, for me is because there is that community of a lot of people understanding these concepts and talking about these concepts, whereas, you know, in the real world, all day, people are talking about the opposite. And like we were saying with the media all the time, and you were with this, you're able to interact, lots of people going through the same thing um, that you are and have obviously direct access to Isabel. Like she literally stays on the call and answers everybody's questions that they could ever possibly have. It's fantastic um and like mind-blowing yeah it's like super cool um but anyways yeah it's just it's a really interesting experience to be in that container but what would you say to people you know and after maybe someone's right now you get right now this conversation listening to this is like getting a taste of what the the master class is like you know direct Mm -hmm. access with isabel hearing these questions that you also relate to what would you say to someone like after listening to this conversation going out into the world and you know interacting with people who clearly are promoting products and experiences that are the opposite um and don't understand this do you you know think people should speak up right away or just kind of let that be until they're more healed how how would you suggest they go out in the world after hearing this conversation we've empowered them with that's a good question. I actually, yeah. So um, I, I think again, it's one of those things similar to the television trigger question. It really depends on where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about bringing up this conversation with other people is that it can be very, um, it can be very triggering because you're probably going to get into a fight with someone. I mean, the reality of the situation is you can't say something radical. You can't say something new without pushback. So if you're not prepared for pushback, if you're not, if you're not prepared for somebody to like fight you on this don't get into that conversation um be aware of like what you're what conversations you're really capable and comfortable having 
The other thing that I would say is, you know, people don't like to be preached at. People don't learn that way. You're not going to do much in the world if you are are forcing information upon somebody who doesn't actually want that information. So, like, personally, like, I have so many friends who I swear to God, I don't even think they really, like, understand what I do. And some of my best friends in the world because they've, ne- they've never asked. And, like, I'm not – I have no interest in sharing this information with anyone who is not um, – you know, actively seeking it out and actively wants to hear it from me. Mm-hmm. I know well enough that if they don't want the information, they're probably not going to hear it. Yeah. That being said, again, it's really a matter of like your personal um, comfort level. Like if you hear, if somebody is like saying something that's offensive or saying something that is, you know, like really inappropriate and like body shaming or food shaming, you know, of course, if you feel so compelled and you feel strong enough to do so, like it is it is social activism work to say something about it and do something about it and i fully respect anyone who does that you know like a lot of my best friends are are fat activists and body positive activists as as you know Katie and they have made their like living on trying to change the culture and like going out there and addressing situations that are um body shaming fat shaming food shaming Right. And like really like point it out and say, this is not okay. We need to change it. And that's great too. But again, like to each their own, no one is obligated into activism work while I very much respect it. And I think that we all, you know, ultimately need to do, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do activism work in order for this culture to change. I don't think any individual person should feel that they have to, especially if they feel vulnerable in that situation or feel like it could trigger them you know, trigger their own issues, basically. Yeah, I think activism is very effective for, you know, getting excited about it, getting passionate. Is it really helpful to helping yourself heal? But at the same time, you really have to, you know, kind of have gone through Isabel's program to really feel comfortable and have the education and the language around being able to to talk about these things and and reading the books and and really focusing on this stuff. So if you do feel like that might be something that you would want to do, I highly suggest taking her masterclass and, you know, you know, at least taking her video training series first, for sure. So can you You talk about... Uh, the master class, by the end of the master class, people definitely have like a very, very solid um, like political and social understanding of this issue in a way that they probably had never even thought about before. Yeah, I can um, attest to that. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I, I think that education definitely like if you're trying to fight with somebody around, uh, you know, on, on body shaming, but you, you know, without the education behind it, you're probably not going to do, you know, you're probably not going to be as effective, right? Yeah. Um, education is always, I think, like a pillar stone to effective activism is like actually like knowing your shit and like, you know, having your facts straight. Yeah. It has to be um, crucial to it, I think. Yeah. It's a, a perfect example is like, like, you know, like Jennifer Lawrence, like she talks out about body image all the time and like people would say that she's doing great work. But I mean, there's other people who like fully criticize her because she um, often is very fat shaming in her own body image work because she's clearly not educated, not that very well educated about these issues. And she doesn't even understand necessarily the ways in which she herself is propelling a lot of fat shaming, even in her attempts to um, 
do body positive work. So like, for example, like she, Jennifer Lawrence is like famous for having said multiple times, I've literally heard her say this multiple times in interviews, it should be illegal to call someone fat, you know, call it like we just as women should just not be calling each other fat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like, it sounds good, right? Like it sounds like she's saying something positive, like we shouldn't be putting each other down. But the way she phrases it is actually propelling fat shaming because essentially by saying we shouldn't be calling each other fat, she is implying that to be fat is bad. So this is a perfect example of somebody who's like doing body image work without the education behind it and in many ways, you know, is, is like kind of, you know, make, you know, it, it could be construed that she is actually um, like uh, kind of keeping women down um, or like actually hurting the body positive movement because she herself just doesn't, it, she herself is so steeped in a culture where thin is good and fat is bad that even in her attempts to change it, she's, she's, she herself has not changed. Yeah. Right? She herself does not fully understand the issue. She herself is not, is not changed. She herself is still struggling with a lot of fat phobia, right? And, and like weight shaming. And so, you know, it's kind of like Gandhi says, or I don't know, there's like various different like mm-hmm. Eastern thought leaders who say like, you know, if you actually really want to change the world, like you better be sure as hell that you're changed first. Yeah. Yeah. Be the change. Yeah. It's, we just got to slip her the, the video training series, which will be in the link below. Everyone check that out. Um, Isabel, is there anything else that you want to say about the, the masterclass or your free video training series that's um, out now that this podcast is out? Um, you know, I think we covered quite a bit of it. You know, I just want to get, you know, say thank you for obviously giving me the opportunity to, to chat a little bit about the work that I do. And, you know, if anyone is interested in I, the video training series is free, you know, it's like an introduction to this work. It's, it's like really like, like fun, easy to like, easy to watch, easy to listen to, and like will give people a better sense of who I am, you know, beyond this interview. Um, but yeah, if anyone's interested in doing the masterclass the masterclass is definitely, um, it's the most intensive program that I offer. And it is, um, you know, I think the deepest level of education that someone can get on this topic in a coaching platform in a group in a group coaching platform. I'm so proud to have gone through it and to have done the work. Like I'm, I'm proud of you for creating it. I'm proud of myself for participating and doing it. And I just, yeah, I'm, I'm psyched that it's, it's being offered again. And I'm so glad that it exists. So. Thank you so much, Isabel, for everything that you shared today and um, for being my mentor and my friend. And I'm just humbly really grateful for you and your work and your contribution that's unique than anything else that's out there. And I'm, I'm really grateful to know you. So thanks for sharing all of this. Thank you. Talk to you soon, Katie, and everyone else, hopefully. Have fun. Bye. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me at Katie Dalebout and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation and like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook so we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.